Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Joining me today, soul legend, Lee John of Imagination. And oh, you're in for a treat. Um... We, we we go in on so many different bits and pieces on this podcast and uh, and, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, before we get on with the podcast, just quickly, um, a big thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, um, which I should say, I, I often, you know, I say this at the beginning of every single episode, but do go and explore uh, the Distraction Pieces Network if you haven't already. Uh, I'm probably aware that most of you that listen to this podcast, of course, you know, listen to Pip's podcast and have probably a lot of you have discovered this podcast via uh, Pip's podcast. But uh, there's some other incredible podcasts on there. So so do go and have a look there. Uh, and also a big thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. You know, we're in a, a strange time at the moment where so many of these podcasts have to be recorded remotely. And uh, and it just, you know, you don't get that that perfect studio you know, recording that, that obviously we did at the beginning of 2020. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's putting the pressure on the producers to try and give you the, the, the warmest sounding interview we can. And, and, and 76 has been doing a great job. So, so, so much love to him for that. Um, if this is your first time listening to off the beaten track, when you finished this episode with Lee, then um, go and have a look in the archives because you'll find, Oh my God, like maybe 170, episodes now with you know actors such as Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, Michael Smiley uh, through to who else we can talk about uh, Chuck D, um, Mel C of the Spice Girls uh, and then you know James Lavelle, Julian Marley uh, there's there's a big barrage of um, amazing chats to be listened to uh, in the archive so go and have a look um, over there I'm sure you'll find something uh, that will tickle your fancy um, and if that's not enough I do also have a, a Patreon page which um, each week I upload uh, several radio shows and uh, bespoke episodes and video episodes to uh, to the Patreon page, and you can find out about all of this. and And there's some really cool merch as well, and that that really helps um, in supporting this podcast. Uh, and you can find out about all of this stuff at offthebeatandtrack.com. Are we done? I think we're done. Yeah, let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Lee John. Mm-hmm. 
Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom is Lee John. Hello. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, as they say. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, thanks for your time today, Lee. It's much appreciated. We've already had a, a, a bit of a chatter um, before I've pressed record um, about our, our mutual friend, who has also been a guest on this podcast. So if uh, people want to listen to um, DJ Destruction, uh, his episode, then uh, go right the way back. I think it was one of the in the first ever five episodes I've done. So uh, go back and have a... Have a listen to to his story because he uh, has worked with you on and off for recent years, right? Yes, Ross has worked with me um, many times. And actually, on my last album, he did a wicked mix of a track called Do It Right Now, which was a single, number one in the soul charts. And uh, he did another mix for me for something. I keep phoning him and saying, look, could you do something? You know, I want to, I want to, so he'll beef up the track. Yeah. Um, And of course, we'd worked together with Skibbity and... um, who are the other guys? Some other guys. Oh my, my brain is gone. And we did a tr- we've done a track that's in the can that should come out soon, hopefully for next year, nice. um, if I get around to doing it because I've got so many projects on right now. So it's uh... <laughs> well to start things, Lee, on your playlist. I always ask our guests what song they think has the greatest ever intro. Wow, the greatest ever intro. Ooh. The greatest intro. My goodness gracious. That's a really good one. Um, I can actually say... I'll make it easy for myself because I could get very musically complex and I could go from... Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go... I'm going to go easy... I think the, the the long version of Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Diana Ross. Oh. It's the very long version, the very intro, where not the single version, there's a different, yeah. where it starts with just the strings, and then the harp comes in, and then the horns, and it starts to build. But it starts with... Dum, 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 the strings... And it plays the counter melodies. Then it goes down, down, down. The piano starts down, 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 in, in, in especially in, in pop, soul, whatever, music. Um, they've written so many songs for so many pa- famous people, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, Whitney Houston, um, Shaka Khan, Ray Charles. And I love them for, they had an album, Stay Free, mm-hmm. and there's a track Nobody Knows. It's called Nobody Knows, and I love it. And I actually wrote another track. I wrote a track called Nobody Knows, which it was not, it doesn't sound like this, but it inspired me. And yeah. I just thought I'm going to nick the title. Yeah. But they're great. They, they've been really underestimated. And they're behind the scenes. So many great songs. Ain't nothing like the real thing. You're all I need to get by. The Onion song. I'm every woman. Um, oh, Christ. I mean, when you start spelling them out like that, I mean, that's an insane level of talent, isn't it? You it know, is. To have it written is. that amount of 
amazing records without their own career as well, you know, outside of songwriting. You know, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Lee, I I want to ask, um, how how have you approached uh, songwriting and and predominantly the intro um, from the very early days of imagination to 2020? Um, When I ask that question, I mean insofar as the way that people listen to music when your career first started is way different to how people listen to music now. Obviously, we're uh, in the time mm. of streaming. Things are very disposable, very quick. You know, attention very spans quick. are shorter. Very you know, quick. how have you how have you kind of um, seen changes in that? And um, and you know, have you you know, do you continue to do what you think feels right, or do you try and embrace you know some of the ways that people listen to music now? When we first started, well, I, I to start with, I used to, to write way before imagination. I was always writing as a kid. Um, in actual fact, I was signed to a record company when I was 14, 15, EMI. And uh, I was writing with a mate of mine, Russell Fraser. We were great mates, and we used to write a lot of our own songs. So the structure of writing and what we wrote about, how to do a lot with our environment, or the records we were listening to at the time, what affected us. And gradually, as I progressed, I would always have this wild, animated uh, scenario going in my brain, like every song was a film. And, uh, but for me, I remember the, fam- the, the most famous songs for me were the, as you just uh, mentioned before, the intros. And the most records were like two, three, four minutes, nearly four minutes, that just as it ends. So when I was writing and then recording a track, even when um, with my producer, Tony Swain, I would always, for example, I'll give you a, a, an example. Um, with Flashback, you know, Flashback, I wanted the intro, we're starting up now, we're on our way. I wanted that to be, they wanted to kind of put that just with a beat behind it. And I said, no, I want to have an intro where they just hear the vocal and then the, the music comes in. We were always, it was never a fight. It was always a... Um, you know, a, a way of like, how can we extend ourselves? And in those days, we were using analog, so it was very hard to sync things in. So the fact is, they were saying, well, how are we going to do it? And you, you're you going to be in time. I said, I don't want to beat, no matter what's happening, no matter what happens. I want the, the listener to hear my voice and then come in with a flashback. And um, so that to keep me in time, you can hear lightly the chords coming up. So you hear, dun, 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 even though when I did sing it, it was much lower because I just, you know, I didn't want to be affected by it. And then I said, let it follow me, you know, like I'll sing it and then you follow me and then you bring it in. So those are important. Even um, the beginning of Illusion, uh, that was a bit at the end because we didn't have enough space. And Illusion had started with just the bass and the drums coming in. And then again, um, I wanted something different i remember saying i wanted a phaser sound uh at the very beginning of that and you do hear it over my voice illusion has a kind of phaser chorusy sort of thing on it but intros are always important and i think nowadays coming into 21st century uh it's it's practically the same thing it's those first couple of seconds that get you and with my new song horizon the same thing um was with with the lunar man when i was doing that you know, I said I want to bring back the voice so people can hear the voice and say, do I know that voice? 
you know, or if they do, I mean, they're probably too young to know, but those that are in the know. And for me, I think intros are so important because sometimes I can hear a track and get into it halfway through and then, okay, I'll play it back again. But nowadays, I don't think you have as much time. You, yeah, have, you know, yeah. some, some DJs, you, you go to a club and they're playing a minute and a, a half of a record and go into something else. Mm. You know, it's just having that different. I think difference is always important and, and maintaining. I mean, I was always battling. I was always fighting. I was always uh, going against the grade, you know, in every possible way, musically, visually, um, you know, and now it's all come full circle that everybody's doing what I used to do, you know, which is kind of interesting because uh, people saying, wow, you were really pushing the way. You know, I said, yeah, I had arguments with my record company. I thought being it was a black group that we should have been on higher levels than we were, though we did achieve a, a great uh, amount of success. There were still areas that, oh, it was a lot of kicking down doors and, and, and it was always a fight. Yeah. You know, it was always a fight. But going back to the main thing that has always kept me, especially in this particular period where we've been had to lock down, is the melody, it's the music, it's the... I mean, I've just written a whole album with Bill Sharp from Shack Attack, you know, smooth jazz album. It took us maybe the same time that I wrote the Body Talk album, you know, which was like four or five weeks. We did that. And we started it maybe eight years ago. <laughs> mm. And we had, we had one track, which was on the, the Blue Savannah album with um, Shag Attack. And we were supposed to finish off this and we didn't do it. And then I said, look, let's just do it. You know, I think we've got time now to do it. So besides other projects, I, I did that. But for me, um, I'd say for me, going, even talking about this year, it's been a very uh, creative year. Everything has been of a creative nature and um, plus I'm involved with film production as well so I've been having a couple of days doing film production and editing whatever and then I'm doing music so it's just been I've kept it very very tight you know and it's it's uh, can only strengthen your skills and make you grow even more 100% Lee for track two I want to ask you the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you oh wow Ooh. Okay. Uh, you know, with me, there's always a story. Uh, you know, wait Good. For the book. that's what podcasts always, are about. I want stories. There's always a story. Um, and now, because I do a lot of interviews, I, I've, I've consciously tried to make each interview different because I think that's what it's about. Otherwise, you're, it's like before when you're promoting, you're promoting, you're promoting. I think that you know, it's important to try and use your brain and think something more original. So, um, one track, oh my God, that really, um, when I was a kid especially, uh, I remember I, it was a song I couldn't understand, but it just, uh, I don't know why, it was Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin. Mm. And it, I don't know why, it just, um, it was that at the same time there was a Sly and the Family Stone, Stone song called Hot Fun in the Summertime which when you know the intro and it came in and it just transported me into somewhere else but then you know you come to the 70s and me, could it be I'm Falling in Love by I oh, know actually um, you know one of a kind of a love affair by Detroit Spinners but could it be I'm Falling in Love was one um, oh my lord, by the Detroit Spinners. But just uh, going back to 
Janice Joplin there that you touched mm. on as as the what you know just the first one that you said there. Like, what was it about that record that 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 what was the emotion that you got from that? You know, could you could you hear the pain in her voice? Yeah, it was it was she was uh, an art. Janice Joplin was an artist where um, I was too young at the time to actually know her pain, her anguish, and what she was going through. She died very young. But I, one, I couldn't always understand what she was saying. Yeah. You know, and I, it took me years to find out what it, but it just, I think what was happening, there was a lot of things happening at that time. And so in the atmosphere of all of that, um, it was something that stayed in my brain, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's with everyone, you know. I think um, there's always a moment, like even what we're going through now, there's always going to be that one song that sticks with you, you know. And uh, so it just had that, it, she, her anguish and her um, struggles were probably obviously coming through, through that. Yeah. Um, it's just a very significant performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for track three, Lee... The song that reminds you of your time at school. Oh my god! It depends which one. <laughs> I did a lot of traveling when I was very young. Um, as I said, I, li- I lived in America for a while, so I was very heavily influenced by. Um, it was very different to the UK. Um, Where, whereabouts was your base in the UK before you went to the states? I was living. I was born in Hackney. And then we lived in North London, uh, Finsbury Park. And I went to school right... Well, Arsenal football ground was on the back of my school. Mm-hmm. It was basically there. And then I went to St. John of Arc for a year because I was going to go to Catholic school in the States. So they put me in there for a year to become a Catholic, <laughs> to go to a better school abroad. And then I went to America. And then um, everything changed. It was the time of the civil rights movement. Uh, Martin Luther King had just been assassinated when I, I think I'd landed, I think. And then... A month or so later, Robert F. Kennedy got assassinated. Jesus, so, what a time to arrive in America. My God. I was there for that. In actual fact, my father and his wife took me to <laughs> St. Patrick's Cathedral where they had an, a, a, a casket. You know, the whole city loved the Kennedys. So that every, you know, black, white, everyone, the, 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 everybody came to pay their tributes and I've never, ever done anything like that in my life. I remember it, you know, I was 10, 11, something, 10, I think. And we were lined up on this street. Like, you normally just cross the street and see the the church and you go into it. They had you go all the way around, block after block after block. It was daylight when we left and it was night when we when we left, you know, when we came there, it was daylight. By the time we left, it was, it was night. And, um, oh, my goodness. Um... So when I was at school, um, I'm trying to think. Ah, uh, oh God! All right, in it, uh, if it was England, it would be the Beatles, and if it was in America, the most oddest sh- song I remember I was hearing, and it was "Here Come the Judge" by Shorty Long. Here come the judge. Dun, 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 dun. Here come the judge. Just now, you know, just, uh, do, 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 do. But in, in in the UK, it was it was it was the, was it the Beatles? 
No, actually. No, it wasn't. It was... Uh, it was an obscure song by Sandy Shaw called Today. Okay. Today. Today. There You say I think that was either up on the string or whatever, but I just remember that. (laughs) The most weirdest things. So how was it being a a kid from Hackney um, to then finding yourself in the States? What what age was you when you got to America? I was eight, nine, something like that. Um, And it was coming from you know hearing the sounds of the uk and 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 scar and blue beat and and calypso and not saying that you didn't hear that in brooklyn where we went to live but my grandmother lived in jamaica queens and my cousins they lived in a house that was like the cosby family you know and you i was like my gosh you know there was always food there was always it was like the brady bunch black brady bunch it was crazy and it was a different environment, completely. TV, you had you didn't have three channels or two channels. I think we had here at the time. There was like 20 channels in colour, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, you saw Elizabeth Montgomery and Bewitched in colour. <laughs> you know? And all these kind of things. And it was just bewildering. And everything was available, you know. It was like the soundtrack to all the musicals and I remember there used to be this, this um, I'm just remembering it now I said musicals there was a, a, a thing in the magazines you pay 99 cents or something and they send you 20 albums and they and and you basically they wanted you to continue buying but I never yeah. bought anything <laughs> I bought all these albums and let's pay the one off and that would be it <laughs> you know there's uh there's so many different things. I think um, it depends, you know, for me it was, it was uh, uh, an interesting tapestry that m- gave me, um, made me what I am now. And I, I would say the roots to who you are when you're younger will make you now, this, your stability, you know, my work ethic, all of that stems from when I was much younger, way before imagination. How did you, did you enjoy school? School, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say some people hated school, but uh, I had fun. I was in a in 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 America. I was in a glee club. Um, I was singing. Uh, I played violin over here when I was here. Violin, flute, and piano when I was in the UK. Um, and uh, in America, and this is something that was very new at the time. I used to go to summer school to learn Black history because they taught you black history. You learned about Frederick Douglass, the uh, slave, uh, who, was a, who was a slave, but then became a uh, free man. He came to the UK and spoke in Parliament and stuff. I learned about Harriet Tubman, George Washington Carver. I learned a lot about who, and that was early 70s. You know, I was learning about, and it was the time of the Black Panther movement. Angela Davis was being hunted down by the FBI um, Isaac Hayes just won the Academy for Shaft. Yeah. The Temptations were the group to, to imitate along with the Jackson Five. Um, you know, Julia, Diane Carroll, had a, one of the first black females was on TV doing her own TV show, which was Julia. Flip Wilson, comedy, uh, the, the comedian. 
had a character called Geraldine, which is probably one of the first black drag acts out there. But it was really funny. He was, you know, he says, what do you see? What do you get? And he had these albums. Everybody loved Flip Wilson and Geraldine. You know, what RuPaul is doing now, flipped, flipped, flipped it then. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. uh, you know, it was a lot of progression. And, you know, with the civil rights movement had taken to a level where, you know, you talk about black power. I was a kid just gazing up, watching all of this productiveness and seeing Motown and Stax and all these labels. And, um, you know, it was proud to be black. You know, it was a situation where back. So it, it, it really um, annoys me that our movement hasn't, hasn't gone forth as far as it should have gone from what I saw when I was in the States. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Was you, during school, was you, um, was you, was you a confident kid? Shy. Shy. Mm. I was very shy. I was always observing. And then I'd go home and I'd copy everyone's movements, you know, and I thought, I'm not as good, I'm not as good. I didn't think I was as good, even when I was in imagination, you know, I think I've got to get better, I've got to get better, I've got to get better. And, you know, so I was working on myself all the time. And I think it was because of my, the way I was brought up, my father, you know, I, lived, I came back to live with my mother. But my father was a very heavy disciplinarian, so it, he kind of knocked a lot of my confidence. So I was always thinking I wasn't as good as I could be. And so, therefore, um, you know, I wasn't always the one up front. I was always in the back there thinking, okay, you know, I had all the ideas. I wrote all my, I was always writing, you know, I see some of my old books and all these ideas. And even to the point where I remember in the late 70s, just for imagination, I had this book and it had all these lyrics and stuff. And some of them ended up as imagination songs, like In and Out of Love, you know, and So Good, So Right you know, because I'd written them way back and no one would know. Mm. And, uh, but my con, I wasn't, um, I, I was always inquisitive 
but I was not like um, sometimes people think you know when you are really upfront and that that you oh you're a bit arrogant and all that and you've got a lot of front. Um, I think I grew into the characters. You represent what you do, and you know. What about drive? Was you driven? Yes, yes. I so I you know in in the, in my household very much so. Uh, my sister was very forceful in you know it was it was not a household where you're going to sit down and just do nothing you know what you you know like you're not going to work you know um coming back into the the uk late in mid 70s i remember i was in a group i was singing with a band i was doing uh when i left school i had a part-time no i was doing a full-time job that i was learning and on a saturday job as well and then in the evening do a gig, and then after the gig, go and party. And I'm thinking, how did you get the energy to do all of this yeah. stuff? So if that isn't drive, I don't know what is, you know. And it was at that, you know, there was no mobile, there was no buses, but you, you did it, you know. And uh, I, I got to a point in my life where I thought, I don't need to um, work anymore. I, I can survive on being a musician. That's a great moment, isn't it? Mm, it is, it is, because it's not easy now. Oh, my God. But um, it's a situation where um, my sister had the philosophy, said, okay, you, you want to do the music? Because we had a record company, so we had a record deal, and it fell flat. And I thought, oh, that's it, you know, da, da, da. I thought, all right. But even when I had the record deal, I didn't think I was good enough. You know, part of a duo. Our record, we had um, Gonzalez, who played the music, Phil Shan, the bass player for Rod Stewart, was on the track. And, oh, my goodness, Thunder Thighs, who were backing vocals for Lou, Lou Reed on Walk on the Wild Side. I didn't know that until much later. Our manager man, managed David Bowie's uh, Spiders from Mars. So I was surrounded, all of this, by the time I came back to the UK at 14. And um, I just thought, you're not good enough. You're just really not good enough. Do, you have to keep learning. Do you still get that? Do you still ever get that sort of imposter syndrome? I still keep refining my tools. I'm always rehearsing with my band all the time. I'm always refining. You can never stop learning. You know, the fun of, of succeeding is educating. And I think that's what, you know, I, here right now in this pandemic, I had to go back to all my equipment, which is around me. I had to learn all the, all the I, I have it there, but I, was, I got lazy because I was having an engineer. Hmm. So I had to engineer myself again, which is where I started, yeah. you know, the early days. I was doing all my own demos and stuff like that. So I had to go back and then bring my engineer and say, what do you do with this? And leave. You've been doing this for how many years? And you don't know. I said, I can't remember. I haven't been doing it. Yeah. You know, so that, it becomes fun. I think if you go over a, a good philosophy, you know, and take a deep breath and take time, everything's achievable in time. For track four, Lee, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember buying from a record store. Uh, Girl Need a Change of Mind is from the... Well, no, it's actually... It was My People Hold On by Eddie Kendricks because there was a track on there called Girl Need a Change of Mind, which is a classic song. And Eddie had this falsetto tenor uh, voice, which was so original. He was with the group The Temptations. He had gone solo. And unlike the Shy Lights or the Stylistics or any of those kind of groups, he had a jazz kind of way of, of, of how he sang, which I just loved. I tried to emulate. We, and all my friends got into Eddie Kendricks because of me. 
So we knew all the nuances and all the, the ad-libs. I even knew some of them now, and people don't know where, where I get that lick from, and I'm, I'm stealing an Eddie lick there because, you know, he's not with us now, so I could do it. <laughs> but it was, yeah, my people hold on. Okay. Um, I, w- I want to ask um, you this because, I, you know, any guests that I've had on this podcast that have, that have appeared on, on Top of the Pops, I always like to ask them about it because, um, you know, as – uh, growing up in the UK, you know, the Top of the Pops was an institution that, you know, was the only place you'd get to see your pop stars each week and, you know, religiously would gather around the TV and, and watch that and, and feel embarrassed when my, you know, my dad would be like, well, what's this shit? Turn this eyes, oh, it's rubbish. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, and, and you want your parents to, to not like what you're into, you know, you want, and, and I just, I just wonder, I want to ask you what it was like to, to, to appear on Top of the Pops and, as somebody that saw those early performances on Top of the Pops, you t- it struck me that you just seized that moment because the performances were just unbelievable. It was like everybody was talking about like what they'd just seen, you know. And was was that something that – was that a concise thing, you know, that you thought this is – right, we're on Top of the Pops. I'm, I'm going to leave it all on that stage. Well, for me, top, well, for those that didn't know what Top of the Pops was, Top of the Pops was a program where, it would be, as you so rightly said, we all gathered around it, um, and there'd be music for everybody. Mm. And, you know, all of a sudden, uh, our record Body Talk uh, was climbing up the charts. I think it got to number 44, something like that. And at that time, we were doing all the club songs, because Body Talk was a huge club record all the djs one of the slowest records that year in 1981 there was nothing like it and everybody thought it was an american group so it was like we're on white labels we're out to all the djs and everybody's going like yeah dum, 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 dum. is it too slow Isn't it? and you go to a club and sometimes you hear them and they'd be speeding it up a little bit so it could fit in with uh herb alpert rise or nice. Lowell mellow mellow things like that you know but it was like everybody when they had body talk they hit that floor you know and uh, many babies were born, apparently, from that. Some of them called Lee. <laughs> so Top of the Pops was, um, I think, the ultimate for, for me at that time because I'd watched everybody on there and never dreamed that I'd be on there. And uh, by the time uh, I'd, I'd, I'd written and, and, and uh, recorded Body Talk, was it late 80, 1980, I was still in uh, moonlighting with other bands. So I'd be playing down Brixton Pub, the George Canning. We'd be playing the bingo halls in Peckham. And I always talk about those because they were the best years for me, playing the pubs and the bingo halls, because that was a great... And the Working Man's Clubs, I did loads of that. Um, And I wish there was more of that for some of the younger artists now to just, you know, hone in their tools, get their, you know, just to... You you know, they don't have that, you know. And I played to diverse audiences, so that meant by the time we did Top of the Pops, I was re- already ready. Um, and Morgan Kahn, who later formed the Street Sounds label, he was our A&R guy. And he signed me. Um, and he basically was crazier than I was. But he was outfrontly crazy and mad. And he was like saying, you know, this is, you know, because basically, oh yeah, going back to the, 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 the just going on Top of the Pops, I got a phone call when I had gone out shopping or something like that, and I just left home. 
saying, you know, we may be on top of the pops the next day. So I thought, what do you mean we may be on top of the pops? No, no, are we? Yes, yes. And this was, I remember Ellis Elias, one of the, the directors of the company. So I said, are we, are we not? You know, yes, 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 yes. Because he was trying to play like, he always has this sort of like maybe kind of thing, but trying to keep you guessing. And I'm thinking, to let me know. Mm. So um, straight away, it was the look, what we're going to wear. Da, da, da. So a friend of mine, Brian Clark, had, was a designer. So he was, he was like, to us, he was the suave and dove guy, you know, like you know what to wear and everything. And um, was this, we'd seen Funkadelic, I think, maybe a couple of months before, and they brought the Mothership Connection. And I said, I don't want to go in there looking like one of the four tops or, you know, that kind of situation. We've got to be really out there because we've only got three minutes and we've got to make an impact. And, you know, they've got to think, yeah, you're from America, you're from wherever, you've got to have that difference. And because a song is slow as well, you, you know, we want, we need to fill in time. You don't want to, you know, and, you know, so everything that I wore, everything we did came from the clubs that we went to as well. Cause at that time we were going to Montbreeze and, Bird's Nest and Southgate Royalty and the Royal and all these different clubs. And everyone dressed different. Everybody had their own look. So what we just did was took that look and put it onto the Top of the Pops uh, stage. Because uh, in London, that was what was really happening. We were really, everybody was had their unique look. So people who saw me, Top of the Pops just thought, oh, that's Lee doing his thing, you know. Yeah. But outside of London, it was like, oh my God. God, what is this? You know, and um, and you know we were up there doing our thing and going for it and giving it. And I was used to performing live, so it, some people who go on top of the pop, some of them haven't even played live. Mm-hmm. You know, or in, it's like nowadays they go on the X Factor and the 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 Idol or whatever, and they've not played before big audiences. So by the time they go on there, they're you know they're like that. You see them gradually get. They're actually. Um, developing as they go along, mm. but I was well developed by the time I went to top of the pops. You know, I wasn't I wasn't learning my trade. I'd been playing to two thousand people in the bingo hall for Christ's sake. You know, so they were my Wembley. You know, and uh, you have to have dreams. And I think once you've got these dreams, then they will come through. And um, so went on top of the pops that first day, and uh, and I've said this many times. I when I finished, I was because you have three or four performances. And Morgan said to me, this moment, this is going to happen. You will never have it again. You're going to be on this program a lot. But you'll never have it again. And he was right because I cried after, we, after they said, that's it. Thank you. And they clapped. And literally everything just, I just, I was so overwhelmed of that moment of being on top of the pops. Um, it was, I don't know how it was for Errol or Ashley, I think they probably felt it the same way, but I was so emotionally distraught because I thought, my God, you know, and I hadn't even seen what we'd done. Or like, because we'd been rehearsing it from the morning um, to the afternoon you again, then do the dress rehearsal, then finally they do the, the main show. And then even when you're rehearsing it, you do it two or three times all day, all day. Yeah. So from the morning till night, you're wrecked, you're, you know, and... Um, and so by the time we'd done it, I was like this emotional wreck because I was like, wow, I've done Top of the Pops. And then I just thought, well, hey, I didn't know what the impact was going to be. But then um, Morgan said, wait till tomorrow. 
And then the whole universe just exploded. It was like an explosion. It was like, uh, every, you know, everyone's talking about in the schoolyards and everything like that. <clears throat> it was a, a, a... I never actually... I watched it. I think I did watch it. Yeah, I, did watch, I think I watched it afterwards, more likely, because I don't like watching my performances anyway. But um, I couldn't actually see what was what the whole thing was about because I've been doing my thing and dancing yeah. and gyrating and, and doing what I do all the time. So for them, oh, my God, you know, like, you don't see a black man winding up his waist. I'm thinking, why not, you know? So it, it, that's, that's where we are, you know. Everybody was very, I think... Um, in the UK, everybody was very straight-laced. Definitely. Very straight-laced. The only man you see whining up was Tom Jones. <laughs> and I saw that the other day on this thing. I said, hold on. I said, wow, you know, he's, 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 he's whining up like a black man, you know. That was the only person you saw. You didn't see Engelbert doing it or Val yeah. Doolittle or, or, you know, Paul McCartney or something like that. You never saw anyone doing yeah, it. And I yeah. realise now, much later that, it was because I was doing my, why not the hips and, and doing it and, and dancing and still singing at the same time. So you probably, you know, people didn't probably see that. They didn't see that, you know. It was either you're doing routines and da-da, which later on we did, you know, and stuff like that. Well, you mentioned um, a few nightclubs earlier. And for track five, Lee, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Wow. Well, there's one track, because I used to go to Cracker's lunchtime when I was a kid, and God rest his soul, George Power was a great pal, was a neighbour, he was the DJ of DJs. And I used to love uh, Crystal Wall by Crystal Glass, or Crystal Glass by Crystal Wall. And uh, that was one of my favourite clubbing records. Besides that, it was the Blackbird's gut level. You know, bird gut level. I used to like da 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 Surprisingly, the amount of instrumental records. I love vocalists, and I love the female vocalists, the male vocalists, the choral groups and stuff. But I used to love a lot and have a lot of instrumental records by some of Herbie Hancock and Ramsey Lewis and and Joe Sample, who we got to work with actually. And and it was a different period. And they were all doing some funk movement, funk record that we were all getting down to, you know. And um, it was about dancing. It was all about dancing and getting into the groove and, 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 you know, competing in that level. But everybody was, it was just about the music, you know. And I think that's what, when we did Tell the Pops, you saw, you felt, you know. That's, I was bringing all that energy of all the other youngsters who were out on the street doing their stuff. Track six, Lee. A favourite song from an artist from your home county. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, you have really thought about these. Oh, my gosh. My home county. You go in London. Uh, you go in London. Oh, well, i got to call my mates then. i got to say, like the world, London Town. Nice. I yeah, I've got to say London Town, like the world, definitely. Because uh, we used to go clubbing together, you know, Kenny and Breeze and... Uh, Bats and uh, Nat, Nat Augustine was singing with me and Victor Romero Evans, who became the reg, more of a reggae thing, lovers rock reggae singer. And uh, we all used to go around together. And then Nat left my house to join. We were having a rehearsal. He left my my rehearsal to go and 
audition for like the world and it was funny because I knew all the guys in Central Line and they all became successful links to, uh, David Grant links they all became successful before me for Imagination I was the last one on to get on that train and so I'd go to all their shows I'd support them I remember like the world supporting Aretha Franklin uh, at the new Victoria Theatre uh, which was amazing I thought wow you know they were supporting Aretha oh my god you know and uh, so, you know, we'd, we'd follow each other, you know, we'd check each other out, you know. Was it like a, tell, tell me about like that camaraderie then, was it, was there healthy competition within it as well? Oh yeah, I remember um, we were on the stage doing On Top of Us, so In and Out of Love, and Lynx were on the third or fourth hit, so this is romance, you know. But we could see how different we were. We would, I was doing my thing, David Grant was doing his thing. We were so different, you know, vocally and how we had our own style. You know, it was just so different. So it was a friendly competition, but at the same time, I was glad to know that another brother's here. There's, you know, yeah, and then yeah. we're from London. We're from the same, you know, same area, which... Uh, you know, and afterthought, you think, wow, that was, that was quite an achievement, you know. Um, and I think because of myself and Lynx, um, especially with us having more success, the record companies started to take a risk with other artists and start sounding more British, UK black artists. Before they weren't. They weren't taking that much of a risk. But once they saw we went international and we were breaking the States and Europe and stuff like that, they thought, wow, this is something that we can invest in they started investing in, in a homegrown area yeah um and that's what i think sus- sustained even us for your last track lee mm-hmm. i'm going to ask you uh for a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear oh there's so many oh my god um i spoke about Eddie Kendricks earlier. And I recorded a track with the British Collective, which I was part of a couple of years ago, and we did an album together with Junior Jiscom, Donny, Omar, and Noel McCoy. And I did a version of an Eddie Kendricks track called Tell Her Love Has Felt the Need. And then I re-recorded it, um, or rearranged it, on my album, Retropia, which you can go online. And Eddie Kendricks obviously originally did that. So you can hear two different versions of that track, Retropia, sorry, Tell Her Love Is What The Need on the Retropia album, on the British Collective album, and the original on the Eddie Kendricks album. So you can discover a track you didn't know. Well, Lee, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast with all the tracks that we spoke about. So I'll put all three on there so people cool. can... Uh, hey. Can, can, can rinse through them all. Lee, as, as we find ourselves hopefully on the way out of lockdown and, uh, and trying to kind of ignore the stuff I'm seeing on the news saying that it's all, all bad again, but um, if we remain in positive and seeing there's a light at the end of the tunnel, what are you most looking forward to uh, as we come out of lockdown, Lee? I'm most like well i'd say performing live again to live audiences i love doing the shows we're doing the jazz cafe in february um and we're in northampton um november i'm at the boysdale i'm doing three nights 26 27 28 that's thursday friday saturday but it's only 50 places for each night so you've got to buy your tickets and it's great food it's very lush 
So it's going to be a wonderful, e intimate evening where I'm singing some jazz stuff for my jazz album and also imagination stuff and a mixture of other things as well. So you get to hear the 360 Leroy. Leroy. It's the Lee John. Ten yeah. Leroy. And um, I'm looking forward to just going out there and performing. Plus, I'm promoting my film series Flashback, which is the history of UK black music. So I'm looking forward to finishing that so everybody can finally see the nine, ten years I've been working on this this film project um it's about everyone everybody from the turn of the century british black music so i'm praying we finish this all off and then the light of the tunnel opens up and we can all walk out there and say right let's stay safe let's stay sound where's the best place if people want to keep an eye on on what lee john's up to if you go to my website, www.leejohn.com, that's with three E's, L-triple-E-J-O-H-N.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, they're under Lee E. John and Lee John. So if you go online anywhere, you Google Lee John with three E's, you'll find the first thing that pops up will be the website. Um, and also you'll find out my 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 uh, my my dates my gig my gig guide and also some of the things i've been previously doing my recordings um some interesting videos and some of the actual film projects i've been involved with that i've been producing and directing um you know police and thieves which was a big number one reggae record for me uh two years ago i did a special documentary for the elders in the community um to uplift people which is what i'm really about doing i think that's an important thing right now that we have to stay positive uplifting and there has to be light at the end of the tunnel we have to really it's not easy out there for people definitely i know you know they're people that normally deal with some simple things and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's becoming harder for them and if they weren't in this situation they would have been able to surpass it quite easily so i pray that you guys just you know really Try and keep it together as best as you can. Preoccupy yourself. Find new hobbies. Try and do something that you never thought you can do. You know, everything is possible. Wonderful. Lee John, thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. Ah, just had a chat with Lee John. That was wonderful. Uh, I'd heard lots of good things about Lee from uh, our mutual friend, DJ Destruction, former guest. Uh, and... Yeah, he uh, he was telling the truth. It, it, what what an absolute gentleman um, Lee was. Uh, a real good insight into you know that that moment in in you know the British soul scene in the early eighties as well. Like just fascinates me. And uh, and yeah, always always love to go in on what it was like to to be on top of the pops and you know how that feels. You know what what a moment. Um, so uh, as mentioned at the beginning, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, then go and have a look in the archive because. There's uh, 170 odd episodes with uh, many of your favourite musicians, producers, actors, DJs, etc., uh, etc. Et Go and have a look. You'll find something that you like in there. I promise you. Um, you can find out about everything to do with this podcast at www.offthebeatandtrack.com. I'm back next time. Much love. Thanks for supporting. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, if you could, that would be wonderful because it really helps. Um, have a lovely week. See you soon. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. 
So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.